Welcome to the Sports 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 Podcast. I'm Joel Anderson. I'm Jordan Pomaville. And joining us as always is the Sports Outsider, Phil Ranta. Happy weekend. Happy weekend. Or if you're listening on a weekday, happy weekend. And yeah. get to work. Yeah, get back to your desk, push papers yeah. in that rat race. Yeah. Win, to... number one rat, win. Yeah, Cheryl is going to get promoted above you unless you don't get hit pen to paper. What are you doing listening to a sports comedy podcast on a weekday? Yeah. Uh... This is a sports comedy podcast. Of course, he'd probably be listening to the Cheese, Cheese, Cheese podcast. <laughs> That's probably true. I was starting to go to a, a Dickinson sort of thing, like, you know, asking Ebenezer Screws, if you could you just turn up that sports comedy podcast a little louder? There'll no! be no comedy in this office. Jordan, I believe you mean Dickens. Did I say Dickinson? Yeah. That's- uh, I was thinking of recently traded uh, Philadelphia Philly, Corey <laughs> Dickinson, traded ah, from the yeah. Pirates to the Phillies. Or... You know, the famous author's son. Dick Dickensian. How, how do you say when something's Dick- oh, Dickensian? Dickensian. That's so hard to say. Yeah, this is a sports comedy podcast. So, and, anyways, and of course, if you live in Wichita and are a big fan of his, you're a Dickensian. Nope. This is a sports comedy <laughs> podcast. We'll Joe and Jordan know very much about sports and they're comedians. And I know nothing about sports and I'm a comedian. Yep, that's, Ish. that's it. That's the show. And uh, today we have an exciting show. I don't know if you guys heard this, but the Philly Fanatic mm-hmm. might be a free agent. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess uh, the the he's not owned by the Phillies. Yeah. He's owned by the people who came up with him. He's licensed by and, the Phillies. Yeah, and they, yeah. They, they, well, they sold his rights to be used to the Phillies back in 1984 for $215,000. Whoa. And now I think they're wanting a little more scratch because he's been wildly successful. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I think, so I think the Philly might, the Philly Fanatic might walk. You know, he might, you know, well, get out of that. So we have the Philly Fanatic and his agent, Jeff Kirschbaum. That's good because talent should not be negotiating their own contract. That's sure absolutely 215 grand for the idea for the Philadelphia Fanatic seemed like a great price. Oh, sure. Especially if they went into the room, they're like, I got an idea. He's green. He's a flightless bird. He's a little pudgy. He's crazy. I think it's more that like two stoners came up with this. Yeah. A couple years later, it's wildly successful, and the Phillies came to him and it's like, how about all the pot and Carl's Jr. you could want for the rest of your life? <laughs> they're like, I could live forever. And now they're like 48, and their kids need braces and college, and they're like, oh, fuck, that was a really bad deal. Yeah, but I'm still enjoying this weed. <laughs> <laughs> so they're going to be on this show, and we got a wide world of weird sport. Goddamn right we do. But before that... Well, and news, news, news. Oh, yeah, that's Are true. we sure we have a news, news, news No, we definitely, yeah, we definitely have a news, news, news. And that news, might news, be news. it. And I think we can just lead right into the show. And oh, just... the yellow sunflower fields. A beautiful, towering chateau laid out before you. The fine, herbal aromas of Provence. <laughs> I cannot do it. Mon Dieu, sacre bleu. Oh, vive la France. The pain is too much. Too much. Brought to you by... Evian, sparkling water. If you want the freshest water, you got to drink Evian. I think to explain real quick, that was the drop for only cycling, right? There, yeah. there was bawling in the middle of it. There, there was. There was an emotional breakdown it in the middle of the man. drop. Breakdown, and that's because uh, this last weekend, the nation of France suffered a bit of an emotional breakdown. Per usual. <laughs> uh, but the nation of Colombia 
had an incredible uh, celebration. So are you going to give us a, what, what is the rundown yeah, here? So, 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 so I'm going to run this down for you because this was the most uh, dramatic, let's say, you know, finish the Tour de France ever. All right? So we're going to try and do really? this. Really? Wow. Ever? I'm on the edge of my pillow. Fair enough. There's at least, <laughs> there's at least two or three that'll top it, but it was sort of the most unique. But uh, okay. yeah. So uh, if you remember last week we left off, Julian Alaphilippe, who, not supposed to be a Grand Tour rider, had just won the individual time trial. He got the yellow shirt. Right? Uh, and and France was in the lead? At France this? was in the lead. And I did not mention at the time, but not only was... Because uh, it would have been too much for us. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we not would have literally was, pissed ourselves. Not only was Alaphilippe in the lead, and the day after the time trial, he was second on the ride up the Col de Tourmalet, one of the iconic climbs in the Tour de France. Again, another one where everyone assumed... The biggest race leaders were going to put two, three minutes into him. He took 30 seconds off of them. All of a sudden, everyone had to stop and go, hey, can Julian Philippe actually win this? And even if he didn't, fellow Frenchman Thibaut Pino was under no, two minutes. No, no, Hello, je m'appelle Thibaut Pino. Do you guys, do you guys want to know how Thibaut's spelled? How? T-H-I-B-A-U-T. I assume it ended with a T. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had that much. So, so yeah, Thibaut Pino, uh, who had also finished highly in the past, about two minutes down. So even if Philippe does have the collapse that everyone was expecting, because he's just a little bit too big. Right, the Nation of the France has back. a hedge in this Thibaut they guy. They got a hedge in a guy that had, had been, he won the ride up the Col de Tourmalet and looked wonderful. So that brings us to stage 19. One of the last two crucial big mountain stages in the Alps, right? So they're owing up the first of the two big climbs of the day, and Alaphilippe gets dropped. What does that mean? Uh, so, so like he falls off his bike? No, it means he can't keep up with the pace. That the, uh, the fastest riders keep so going. So he dropped himself. Yeah, he can't match it. So he got you know. Don't you, do you it in third person. Like he's not the one that's at fault here. When you say got dropped, it sounds like it's passive he had voice happened yeah. to him. Well, I mean, he was the one that he didn't slowed train down. Enough. Yeah, but the the thing to he remember got weak. is that if you're in someone's slipstream, it's a lot easier. So when someone rides you off of their back wheel, it means that they're essentially doing like a hundred and twenty five percent of the work you're doing. So that's why they say got dropped. It's, it's, it's a whole thing. But anyway, there's an ascent to follow that, right? And Julian mm-hmm. Alaphilippe, one of the best descenders in professional cycling. So a lot of people are thinking... Wait a minute, yeah. He well, can probably pace his way. And, and trust me, the descents... Like, we're talking they're on these narrow roads in the Alps, and they're flying down these mountain passes at 50 or 60 miles an hour. And the way that you're a better descender is essentially by having less respect for your life. So the descent, right. but the descent seems to me less uh, athleticism and more maybe technique. Yes, yeah, like that duck, ducking your head down. Yeah, and and and, and <laughs> the way that you're leaning and shifting your weight and where you're having breaking, a stretchy yeah. lower back. It's, it's a really astonishing skill. Most people cannot make up significant time. Julie Alaphilippe's one of three or four people who can do that. But but after they go over the top, Egon Bernal. Of uh, Team Egan. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, except this one's spelled with an A instead of an O. Uh, the young Colombian writer breaks away and, and uh, you know, crests the mountain ahead of him. But I think a lot of people are expecting Alan Philippe to catch up before the final climb. But in the middle of July, in France, after they nearly shortened stages like three days earlier because the heat was rising over 100 degrees to the point where a lot of people said it was going to be dangerous, there was a freak 
hailstorm. What? The roads flooded. They have to cancel the rest of the stage and just take the times at the top of the mountain, which obviously nobody knew was going to happen before that. And who knows? Ala Philippe might have been saying, hey, I'm not going to kill myself staying right with Bernal. I'm going to try and catch up on the descent, and then we can at mm-hmm. least see what I can do in that final climb. Yeah. All gone. So Alaphilippe loses the yellow by way of, like, the tour director has to drive up in his car, catch these people who are out in the course, like, riding hard and be like, All right, all right, all right. (laughs) My baguette, she's getting wet. And the tour director is the one who has to do this because a lot of people try to tell the writers that the stage is canceled, and they just don't believe them. (laughs) Well, it just could be like, get in your head, man. Right. Right, and you could see like the people who are riding together are looking at each other like, are you, are you going to buy this? Are you yeah, gonna stop? it's like I'm when the Roadrunner sees stop. the sign that says free bird seed. Yeah. And they're like, go oh, Wiley Kaido, he's right? up to something here. Meep, so, meep. Yeah. And I know meep, what you're thinking. Meep. Okay, Alaphilippe's out of yellow, but there's a stage remaining and you still have Thibaut, T- Thibaut Pino, right? Wrong! Thibaut Pino has to drop out with a torn muscle in his thigh. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. He's got to go back to the tent and drink a bottle of Thibaut Pino. Uh, actually. <laughs> France's finest wine. Thibaut Pino went several miles up a very steep climb with a torn muscle in his thigh uh, and was well dropped before he finally had to quit and like get into the team car weeping openly because Aww. he really thought he could win the Tour de France. So, going into the day, France... Yellow jersey, guy two minutes back who who has a much better chance of winning it. Yeah. And by the top of that mountain, yellow jersey gone. And not even at the finish line. Yellow jersey lost because it's taken off his back when they cancel the stage midway through. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Uh, Egon Bernal goes into yellow. Thibaut Pino out of the race, race and in a Bill Buckner style oh. curse gut punch. The French fans go from like first and fourth. To almost nothing <laughs> like that. Didn't even get to finish the stage. No heroic last climb by Philippe. The next day, they had to shorten the stage because, again, flooding and snow everywhere. Sure. Mm. Uh, Egon Bernal winds up winning. And here's the thing. We were all focusing on the French so much, we missed the fact that Egon Bernal is the first Colombian ever to win the Tour de France. Oh, hey, that's Which something. is an enormous moment. The Colombians are outstanding cyclists. They've been so close on the Tour de France. They've won the Giro d'Italia. France. They've won the, yeah, they've won the Vuelta España. And Colombians have finished second in the Tour de France on three different occasions oh. in the last, like, eight years. It's kind and of a Buffalo Bills kind of thing. Exactly. Mm. So they finally broke through. And, and again, I really, it sort of took me by surprise. I didn't have, like, a week to get myself amped up for the first Colombian cyclist to win because the Americans aren't very good. So I look at it as like a Western Hemisphere thing. I'm okay. like, yeah, go Western Hemisphere. Right. You look Colombia. Well, we are the, together, we are yeah. the Americas. And I yeah. was so caught up in the whole French thing that, you know, and they had this great photo op where all the Colombian riders came to the front and took a picture in the last day. It's uh, nice. So it's pretty great. I got a question. For everyone... Except the French. So it takes you a week to get ramped up for a Columbia Tour de France France win? I, I'm saying that I would prefer... Like you needed preparation for that? I to have a week to prepare myself well, so for the emotional outpouring you're of reading, joy You're reading the, the recaps. You're hearing the stuff about the Columbia. Oh, hey, Columbia might win for the first time. So you... you you yeah. didn't see that because you were so focused and, on that. And they they'd always been talking about Egon Bernal, but this wild story about Julian Alaphilippe randomly becoming a, a Grand Tour writer 
And the French actually having a chance to win in the how, first. How time do in you want years. your shrimp prepared? Oh, I'll have them Julian a la Philippe. <laughs> news, news, news on the Sports, Sports, Sports podcast with Jordan, Joel, and Phil. News, news, news. Feel good news. News feels good. Woo! Yeah, I agree. Can we get a sponsor with that? No. It feels so bad to get sponsors. Oh, okay. This feels we really, good. We, the sponsors didn't want to be associated with this. This yeah. feel good news. They thought that it wasn't really brand safe, the yeah. idea of feeling good. You know? I mean, feel good news. News feels good. In a little Jordan, bit of an America. We, we didn't you invite like you because we know news. you were really tied to this segment, but yeah. we had a production meeting and there was a lot of fighting. It was really acrimonious. Uh, Jean is really upset with it's you. It's pronounced yeah. Yeah. But, um But yeah, I mean... It's important to you, so we want to go ahead and go forward with your controversial segment. <sighs> Oakland Athletics signed fan who hit 96 miles per hour at Ballpark Pitching Challenge. Wait, he hit the ball that was going 96 miles an hour? No, wait. No, no, no. He hit 90 like he threw. It was a pitching, oh. pitching challenge. You know, we'll try it again. Oakland, Oakland Athletics signed fan who hits 96 miles per hour at Ballpark Pitching Challenge. Subheadline in which Billy Bean's Moneyball can find no more market efficiencies to exploit. <laughs> so obviously, I knew Phil was going to bring up the time he claims he hit an 80 mile per hour fastball, but that's I did, not this. In a batting no, cage. You didn't. Yeah, 23 um, year old Nathan, Nathan Patterson and his brother Christian were at Coors Field during a Colorado Rockies game a few weeks ago when Nathan decided to try his hand at the speed pitch challenge. Mm-hmm. So these are basically where they have the radar gun. Right. And, you know, it's one of those things you go up and you toss the balls. There's something you should know, though, about the, any of these uh, pitching things at Wait, any ballpark. Was this, was this one of those uh, radar guns set up on the side of a road? No, it was like no, the middle no. Of the night, and he like walked up, and he was really upset when it only said 76. But he didn't know that the other two beats lit no, up, and it was 96. That was just great feature writing. <laughs> this, that's a really good movie, by the way. It's so sappy. I'm embarrassed that I love it, but I very nearly came to tears watching The Rookie. The Reader's Digest story upon which it was based was outstanding. Oh, it was amazing. Have you seen The Rookie, Phil? Dennis Quaid? No. Do you remember the previews? No. Well, damn it. Anyway, there's something you should know about these pitching challenges at ballparks. They're like, uh, you know, Pleasure Island and Pinocchio? Yeah. For guys who played ball in high school. So everyone's <laughs> turning into donkeys. No. Instead of turning into donkeys, you strain your fucking shoulder. Oh, oh worse. Yeah. yeah. Basically, well, you should warm up. Well, that's the thing. By you the know, way, I've, Pinocchio, I've a little that. problematic that a, a old man is like, I've got an island for boys where I capture boys named Pleasure Island and they can do whatever they want there. It's like, well, then they become movement. Not great. Well, no, then they become donkeys and he right. sells them to the salt mines. But still, the, the pitch for that is a problematic. I'm sorry. It sounds pretty I, gross. No, no, no. I, I, I feel like we got to at least jump in here. Obviously, the Me Too perspective on that is pretty horrifying, but yeah. arguably getting turned into a donkey and forced to work in a salt mine is one of the few things worse than getting molested. Oh, yeah, but still problematic. <laughs> I mean, he's not molesting I, them. I don't think Right, but he sets it. He sets the table like he's going to, right? It's called it Pleasure before. Island, and he's No, but that's because they can boys. smoke cigars and play pool. Yeah, but it seems really creepy. The the pitch for it's creepy. Okay. Honestly, I think they all would rather it be creepy. Yeah. Oh uh, no, we're not, I don't think we're gonna go down that road. Great. Again, compared to working in a salt mine as this a donkey? is a sports comedy podcast. You're in your twenties. You've had a beer or two at the ball game, and your friends start goading you. It's mm. only five dollars. There's a girl you're trying to impress, and at this moment, it feels like throwing a ball really, really hard. We'll do that. Sure. 
Besides, you know, in your heart of hearts, you could have gotten some kind of scholarship, even if it was D3, if Coach Price would have given you a real chance to start senior season instead of only using you in mop-up duty. Before you know it, you're at the front of the line. Some 12-year-old has just hit 48. Not bad. You're handed a ball by an attendant whose polo shirt advertises a local cable provider. You go into your windup, and it's not until you're about to release your four-seamer that you realize you didn't warm up. You didn't even stretch. Uh-oh. You're trying to throw as hard as you can. And oh, God. Oh, God. Pain. Yeah. Pain. So much pain. Anyway, Nathan Patterson, a right-hander who I assume warmed up, yeah. hit 96 miles per hour twice and had several other throws hitting 94 and 95. His brother, Christian, tweeted out a video of him doing, saying, Guys, we were just chilling at a Rockies baseball game, and my brother decided to step in the speed pitch challenge. He hit 96 miles per hour at MLB. Let's get him signed. He also added the Rockies. Sure. Well, this past Thursday, the he didn't, o- he didn't want to get signed by the Rockies. Well, the Oakland Athletics Coors signed Park, him. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna beat up on him. Yeah. So this past Thursday, the Oakland Athletics signed to a minor league deal. Patterson posted a picture on his Instagram announcing the deal, giving thanks. But Athletics general manager Billy Bean could not be reached for comment. Uh, he had a scouting commitment at a area go kart and family fun center. Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's very similar to the kind of center where I was able to regularly hit eighty no, miles an hour fastballs. That's not true at all. Yeah. But if you're Rockies GM Jeff British, you have to think you fucked up here. Yeah, kid hits. You know, kid goes into your Comcast Xfinity high speed challenge, hits ninety six mile per hour in your stadium. It might have been worth checking him out. I imagine the head of scouting is having a tough week right now. <laughs> <laughs> your, your rotation ZRA is over five. Yeah. Worth a shot with this kid. Sure. But again, is it? Because it's the Rockies. Is five bad for the Rockies? And is it just all about speed? Isn't there more to being a pitcher than just speed? Well, the problem is, and the Rockies have tried several ways, and now they actually have like a psychological coach for their pitchers because they think that's going to be the best thing. Just right. be like, don't worry about ERA. <laughs> But their first thing was, we're only going to get people who throw hard because breaking balls don't break in the thin air. Yeah. So that's the problem, uh, one of the problems with uh, yeah. Coors Field, among other things. Coors Field being in Denver, so it's right. at like 5,000 feet, so the baseballs fly super far. So pitchers who have to pitch in Denver like half the year have, they'll have real crappy stats. Sure. I mean, uh, I to explain it to the sports outside. No, this is true. No, I you know how atmosphere that. works. Thin yeah, air. it's uh, sure. thin, thin air up, up, uh, up Different there. instructions on boiling a hot dog. This yeah, is one of true. the few things about sports that I explained to my coworkers and that they actually found interesting. <laughs> so I really thought she, we should... We Joel, should, yeah. do they find it interesting or do they nod and wait to walk away? Like... No, because that's we've been. We've been I'm gonna go get another it. coffee. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, right. oh, you're getting one too. Good chat. Oh, with geez, you, but, uh, <laughs> we're both no. getting coffee now. Here's here's Here. another thing about how thin air gets. <laughs> here's the thing I I know because uh, because yeah they they said that they thought it was interesting. You could see them immediately go like, oh damn it. Okay, damn so uh, yeah. real quick, this wasn't as fortuitous as it seems. Oh, last August at a Nashville Sounds game, the Athletics AAA affiliate. Patterson also hit 96 miles per hour on a radar gun. Whoa. This is last August, okay? He told MLB.com recently that he was surprised because he hadn't thrown for a few years before that. He had played competitively up until senior year of high school, but said he didn't really have a good arm then. But then, say it with me now. Steroids. He broke his arm while trying to catch a fly ball, and the tendons healed a little too tight, enabling him to pitch with incredible force. Funky butt loving. What? Getting stuck between hotel doors. Right? (laughs) (laughs) 
almost forgot that. That's it's a great set piece, and he's like, and Marv is sitting there like, whatever happened to Daniel Stern? That guy was quality. He, he was, was in, a, he was in a few uh, Woody Allen movies around the turn of the mm-hmm. century, mm-hmm. Uh, so he still does nobody watches Woody Allen movies anymore, yeah, but yeah. he's in those, and I think he's, you know, on a pile of money. I have his Funko Pop. The, really? the Marv Funko Pop from Home Alone. He's got the iron imprint on his forehead <laughs> and everything. It's really great. I found it very funny. But seriously, <laughs> he was inspired by hitting 96 miles per hour at this thing that he's like, I'm actually going to... He was like 22 at the time. Now he's 23. He's like, I'm going to try and you know train and shit because that's really fast. Sure. <laughs> so he does that. Then he got hit by a car. Oh! I know! That's happened to me! And then his, <laughs> It's really bad! He's <laughs> just like us. He, he broke his non-throwing arm, but he mm. kept his training going. He joined a men's league. He's got this training program. And basically, in February in 2019, he called the O. Oh, he began talking with the A's. Yeah. And he kept training and everything. And then the trip to the Rockies game and the viral video, like, the next week, the A's called. And they're like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. Let's sign you. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. By the way, was this guy, he did it in Nashville and then Denver? Was he, like, touring parks that have... Oh, I think it was him and his brother just went on a trip to Denver. Oh, just and then, randomly? Yeah. yeah, and they were just like, oh, let's go to a Rockies game. So I think that was like, it was not calculated or anything. I feel like, because they, did they tweet out the Nashville one? No, but he was surprised because I don't think he took a video of the Nashville one. Is he in? He did, he, did, he did tweet out videos earlier this year of him pitching with his cast on and his non-throwing arm and just him like throwing like his different pitches, like a scouting, like basically he cut together his own scouting tape, his own highlight reel yeah. of him like pitching in an indoor batting cage. This smells like the Illuminati is involved. Is that the one where Phil's in the background, like just unable to catch up with 96? No, I am. I am. I could knock those dingers out of the park, too. I could. That's 96 is significantly faster than 80. 16 miles an hour faster. I think you hit 65 about, miles per hour. How about you go stand I think outside I and I accelerate my car to 16. And then I'll try to hit it with a baseball bat? Doesn't sound that hard. I think I could get it up to 50. And I think I could strike you out. I'm Let's try it. you could. Uh, 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 and let's be clear, not a lot to throw him a changeup. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I'd be just, I'd be just throwing hard. I'm yeah. fine just with four seamers. Too. Just four seamers. I want to try this. News feels good. Feel good news. No sponsor. All right. Joining us now on the podcast, we have uh, Agent uh, Jeff Kirschbaum representing your client, the Philly Fanatic. Yes. Hello, Jordan. Hi, hey, it's good to be here. Hey. hey uh-huh. <laughs> yep. That's that's my client. That's the old me. Fanatic I'm over full here. of entertainment. Yep, he's the most entertaining mascot in baseball. And I don't disagree. And might I say, it's it's fun to hear you speak because normally you're pantomiming. And Usually sort of- I am, but on the podcast, that doesn't work very well. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Philly Fanatic. Hey, why don't you give him a great old Philly Fanatic call for all the fans at home? Sure. I'm a flightless bird. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine something that would be more fun for the kids at your local baseball stadium than having this amazing cultural icon? I'm almost a free agent. Uh, and he absolutely is. The Phillies are refusing to pony up the dough, so as of June of next year, we are on the market. So wait wait a minute here. Now, I, I've been watching baseball a long time, and I must say there's only two baseball mascots worth a damn, and that's uh, that's the San Diego Chicken who's Boo! no longer performing. Boo! But no, but so now the number I gotta one. I got to disagree with that number statement. One, the San Diego Chicken sucks. Well, anyway, number one, though, is the Philly Fanatic. That's me, the Philly Fanatic. 
Look, blah, 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 he's giving us laughs. We've seen him fight with uh, Tommy Lasorda. Oh yeah, it's been so much fun. He has mocked other players. Yep, he, he's. He's just so enjoyable. Even in the Phillies down years, if you were watching a Phillies game on TV, you'd be like, oh, what's the Philly fanatic going to do now? That's why I'm so excited that pretty soon I might be able to express myself creatively through other mediums. Well, I don't. I mean, but here's the thing, guys. I, as a longtime baseball fan, I'm always going to think of the uh, the Philly fanatic as being in Philadelphia with the Phillies. And and I wonder if maybe you lose something. Like, why would you leave this, you know, great uh, Well, great I got to tell you something, Jordan. Uh, we don't want to leave. Okay. You know, we, Speak for yourself. We we want to be well. We want to be. I, I told you, I've got ideas. Hey, uh, hey, Philly, could you? <laughs> no, I've got big ideas. I'm well, a creative. I understand. I'm just saying. Let's let's. Not, I'm a comedian. Let's not close any avenues before I we get studied out of here. theater in Oxford. But we should probably we should probably go ahead and stick to the the mascotting since that's what you're known for. If you want to do like a pet project, I can I can maybe make some calls. I've always been interested in trying a dramatic piece. I will look Shakespeare in the park. You. That's where I started. We will talk all about all of the great theater opportunities I'm going to drum up for you right after. Fuck you, wait. We, we nail down your next gig as a mascot because that is what the people want. So I want to be really clear here. We are not asking for much. A 10-year, $400 million contract is right in line with what I think the mascot market is holding. I mean, that sounds very close to what uh, new Philly Bryce Harper received from them. He did not quite get that much. Right. But honestly, who do you think is more important to the Phillies, Bryce Harper or the Fanatic? Well, I mean, the Fanatic will, you know, Bryce Harper will come and go, and the Fanatic will still be there if you guys don't leave Philadelphia. Uh, But, I mean, the Fanatic will still be somewhere. Okay, and the team that's ready and willing to put up that sort of money, that's going to be the one that does it. To be or not to be, uh, that is the (laughs) question. Whether it is nobler (laughs) in the hearts and minds to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous (laughs) fortune. That was wow! Can you can you see that? I mean, that was amazing. That that was great. That was and you should see him with a t-shirt cannon. It's yeah, something else. Oh so yeah, I can do both. What other options? Like okay, so let's say the Phillies. Let's say you part with the Phillies. I, I mean, what option wouldn't we have? Who wouldn't want the fanatic? Well, where where are you looking? Are you have you have you have you sent out Who feelers? Aren't we looking at? I feel like you're dodging the question. Jordan, Mr. I'd Kirschbaum. really like to do a, a cologne ad. One of those really classy ones in black and white where I'm in the pool. Okay. Now, and I, I mean, get out and it says Versace for men. But I'm not going to scratch. Uh, well, I mean, uh, if you want to do endorsements, we are we are, we are are right up there. I've, I'm in the works with fruit roll-ups as we speak. I'll do tasteful nudity. <laughs> uh, okay. I don't think that's on brand, Philly Fanatic. Look, it's time for me to stop being so typecast. You already don't wear pants. Yeah. Guess what's under this shirt? <laughs> okay, well, okay, we'll stop you right there. All right, all right. Yeah, um, uh, but I think the point is, really, any team, any team, any MLB team, absolutely. What the Kansas City Royals? Who cares? Bring in the fanatic. Call him King Fanatic. At ten years, four hundred million. It's a bargain. Then I could do some King Lear. Uh, okay. Uh, I mean. 
You probably want to make sure the fans are still happy. It we would be on brand. I'm trying to make you happy. Uh, I don't know that King Lear would. I mean, we. I think we talked a little bit about your brand, and we thought that it was more goofy than it was uh, existential. Look, I crisis. can do lots of things. I could. I could juggle. Yeah. Oh, I think I find juggling so entertaining. Yeah, and I could juggle and make you cry. Yeah. Why I, would I? Why? Why would I be interested in that? Because it's art. And you know what, Jordan? I think we understand that you don't. I think the fanatic and I have many conversations about how, you know, if you don't want a repeat of what happened when you did Brecht in Munich, okay, then maybe maybe you ought to just sort of focus on the things that you're really best Look, at. Look, I didn't know that the three-penny opera was supposed to be played <laughs> subdued. <laughs> That's, I, I, I don't know that that I was wasn't told that until <laughs> I was on stage and people seemed confused. Yes, we, you, you were very clear in the press that you were upset with the direction, but yeah. I, I also feel like a lot of people just weren't ready to see I the was a stunt cast. I was railroaded. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the point is, I mean, obviously the fanatic has a variety of interests, all of which are going to be really valuable, but he's also going to be an exceptional mascot. The kids at the games will love him. You will sell extra merchandise. 10 years, $400 is a steal. And even if it doesn't work, guess what? We have got other projects lined up. Well, like, if, if you can't find, because here's the other thing, uh, you know, MLB teams have kind of been there. There's kind of been some murmurs that they might have been colluding in previous off seasons. Yeah. So what if there's some sort of like thing where no other team other than the Phillies will sign him? What what, what other projects? Are you going to go to a minor league team? What's happening yeah. here? Yeah. <coughs> Look, if I had my druthers, I think that I should be in the next season of Big Little Lies. Ah. <laughs> Look, all of the greatest actors of our generation are in it. It's a time for me to really show my jobs. It's a little bit heavy, but yeah, we, we absolutely. Here's the thing. Doesn't have to be limited to baseball. Okay. What do I you mean, mean, even within the city of Philadelphia. All right. We, we got the 76ers. We got the Eagles. I mean, the Eagles have an eagle, but what the hell is a 76er? <laughs> right. No, I don't know what that is. I couldn't make yeah. heads or tails for that. I would love okay. to see a fanatic. I feel like a fanatic on a basketball court might give you a lot of fun because oh, yeah. it's indoors. You can kind of control the setting. You get out the trampoline. You're doing slam dunks. Yeah. And here's the thing. What if you are the MLS or the WNBA? You know, you need more exposure. Imagine the exposure you get from signing the Philadelphia Fanatic. Look, I need my career to keep going up. Don't send me to the MLS. Okay, you're, Don't this, send me to the MLS. This, we, Don't send me down to the I minors. We, we've talked about this. This is your career No, I need, to, I need to keep Don't my club going. Don't blow a $40 million commission with me with more talk about your stupid place. Jeez, I didn't know you I'm sorry, where, where were we? Uh, you were naming other leagues, other projects school, that maybe the Philly could... Sure. School, yeah. school, school, school. <laughs> That's, yep. that's, yeah, no. Here's a tissue fanatic. There you go. Yeah. Oh, this, my career is over. No, no. My career is I'm, over. I listen. I'm the one who negotiated I'm, you I'm, that two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in 1984, and I swear to God, I'm getting you what you deserve I'm, now. I'm starting to think that I've never really been taken seriously as an artist. <laughs> that oh. I've always been something of a goofball. Oh, don't. That nobody say really thinks that. of me as a true talent. The well, calls that I keep getting from from. Great I'm starting to director. think that there's people who actually think that I'm a guy inside of a big suit instead of a real green flightless bird. Squibbly, 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 Who would think that? I don't know, the press, the lamestream media, squibbly, squibbly. Fools, all of them. Point is, someone needs to call me. Okay. Soon. I, I've put it out there, waiting for you guys to come to me. And if you don't, guess what? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we're going to do the state fair circuit. Maybe we're going to hit 
200 carnivals in the course of a year. It's another beautiful day down in Grover's Quarters. George and Emily just started doing their homework together. I don't even know what he's doing. It's the our stage. town. Yeah, exactly. It's from our town. That's and, and again, uh, look, I could play the stage manager in our town. Just give me the chance. If our town didn't play, at I the could Kansas rock some State Arthur Fair, Miller. I don't know what you think it's gonna do. Nobody likes to see you in your play. You're a goddamn fuzzy green flightless bird. So just. Listen to me and take what I get you, you son of a bitch! Squirrel, 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 squirrel. I'm sorry about squirrel. that. What, what, uh, what was uh, the last question? It was about options, I think, and maybe... Uh, we have so many... Speaking of options, uh, he just wrote a script that was optioned. Is this true, Philly Fanatic? Yeah, I, I didn't know you were a writer. Yeah, I did. I just wrote a script that was optioned. It's another Adam Sandler Netflix movie. <laughs> Oh no! That sounds fun. Another Adam Netflix existential crisis pick that was a real, you know. But uh, everyone thought it was goofy because it was written by the Philly fanatic. So I said, maybe and you now try. Adam Sandler and his friends are going to be in it. Hey, I got it. He's Option. got some nice friends. Fate worse than death for a serious <laughs> actor. Being an Adam Sandler Well, it sounds like you do have a lot of options, and maybe you will stay in Philadelphia. It also sounds like you guys maybe have some stuff to talk about nope, in terms of the direction of this career. We're not accepting anything other than 10 years, $400 million to be a mascot, because that's all you'll ever be. Screw. Thank you very much for coming on the show today, uh, Philly Fanatic and Jeff Kirschbaum. And now it's time for another wide world of weird sports. Weird sports. Weird sports. Weird sports. Weird sports. Why do we got weird sports, Joe? Hey, hey, Phil. Yeah. What's the wide world of sports this week? Thank you for waiting your turn, Jordan. Oh, fuck you, Jordan. You're not even technically here this week. Not even technically here this week. Please clap. Uh, this wide world of weird sports is the ten biggest errors in baseball history. Ooh. Yeah. I am pretty sure I know what number one is, but we'll save it. So this was oh. written back in 2012 mm-hmm. when the internet was new. Uh, so the the article begins, the 500,000th error in baseball regular season history will likely happen sometime this weekend. Now I'm sure oh. we're like a lot more. We're on to 600,000. Right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Only because they're also fucking bad. <laughs> right. So in, in honor of that, I'm going to skip most of the intro, but in honor of that, they're going to count down their top ten. What they think are the top ten. Poor so. bottom ten. Right, exactly. Because they're, they're losers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so number ten is Matt Holiday in game two of the 2009 NLDS. I remember it well. That's we start with uh, <laughs> we start a list with one from the Stu era. I don't know what that means. With two outs in the bottom of the ninth inning, the St. Louis Cardinals were about to tie the Los Angeles Dodgers in the 2009 NLDS game apiece. But Holiday lost James Loney's liner to left in the Dodger Stadium lights, and the ball bounced off his midsection in a comical fashion. Oh, oh my God. You lose it in the last. Oh, God. You were fucking in a playoff game with two outs in the ninth. And it bounced off your tummy in a funny way. And your whole tummy went, dude, like a bowl full of jelly. exactly. No, it's it's bad enough to miss it. It's so much worse if it actually hits you, because then it's like if I'd had any idea where this ball is, I would have caught it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, you were in the the literal (laughs) area. You were in the right place. Right. By luck. Sure. Well, my my dad always says this that he's like people never realize how hard it is to shag flies because 
professional outfielders always do that. They almost always yeah. run yeah. straight to where the ball is yep. about to land and then catch it. And when, when, when you see guys be in the right place but still not catch it, it's like you did the hardest part perfectly and then you fucked up the easiest part. Well, it's also because there are some times where you actually do lose it in the lights oh, or the yeah, sun no. where it's like it's if exactly it, in it's the impossible. one area where you're not going to see it, specifically the sun because then yeah. your vision is kind of blotched. Like you were following, following it. Sun! Oh, God! <laughs> right. Ball, ball, blackness, black ball again. Well, that's what Holiday told reporters. He said, I had it. It was coming. I was coming in to get it. <laughs> he did then, have it. Yeah, there's yeah. no argument there. Then all of a sudden it hits the lights. You can't see. Obviously, I can catch a ball uh, hit right at me. It wasn't a lack of effort. I just couldn't see it. Yeah. That's, that's unfair said. to Holiday. That's yeah. that's bad luck. Yeah. He, he did nothing wrong. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, we weren't standing where he I mean, he maybe should have been wearing eye black. <laughs> right. He should have caught it with his big, fat belly, right? Uh, number nine, Leon Durham in game five of the 1984 NLCS. Don't so, know this one. Leon Durham's error on Tim Flannery's grounder in the seventh inning of the decisive game five wasn't the main reason the Cubs' World Series dreams ended in 1984, but it was quickly adopted as the main metaphor for a NLCS that featured Chicago blowing a 2-0 to zero yeah. series lead. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, the main reason why the Cubs didn't win that year was because they're the Cubs. Mm -hmm. yeah, right, so. yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So you get that one. Uh, number eight, Willie Davis in game two of the 1966 World Series. Mm. Ouch, World Series error. Uh, what year was the... Wait, what year? Sorry. 1966. Okay. The Pirates home run in game seven in the bottom of the ninth? The 60. Okay, so I'm way off. Never mind. <laughs> Willie Davis put together a great career for the Los Angeles Dodgers in the 60s and 70s. And as you can tell from the song above, there's a little YouTube video, had one heck of a singing voice. He's also a musician. We're not, we're not going to watch the YouTube video. Hell no. Uh, he recorded That's the Way the Ball Bounces in 1963, which is strange given what happened to the three-time Golden Glove winner three years later. Davis committed a record three errors in a, uh, one inning during Game 2 in the 1966 World Series, losing one ball in the sun, dropping another, and then overthrowing third base. Mm. A trio of snafus made up half of the Dodgers' six errors behind Sandy Koufax that day. The Dodgers went on to be swept by the Baltimore Orioles in the mm. World Series. Three errors in one inning. Yeah, it's bad. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. You don't usually wanna... you don't get three balls hit to you in the same yeah. inning. Yeah, I mean, not in college baseball. It's not a lot of errors for an inning. Yeah. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> Sour, Jordan. Oh my god. Get your butt down and your glove on the ground. How yeah. hard is it? Oh my god. Number seven, Mariano Rivera in Game Seven of the 2001 World Series. Oh, I, I had forgotten. No, that's true because I mean. Obviously, I mean, Phil will explain the thing that we all remember later, but I do think there was a throwing error that set that up. Okay. Yeah. 9-11? Wait, what yeah, are you well, talking about? Yeah, that set up the error. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember this series being very frustrating because a lot of people were like, well, we got to root for the Yankees because of 9-11. And I was like, fuck that. If no, the Mets, it's, it's, I'm with you, but... No, no, yeah, no. You we, can fall back on your other 26 World Series titles to We had to heart. wait a whole year to go back to hating New York. I know. A yeah. whole year. Well, yeah, some of tough. us were okay after a couple months. but <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Mariano Rivera's moments of vulnerability in the postseason have been rare, but the New York Yankees' closer's best-known failure came in Game 7 of the 2001 World Series when he surrendered the series to Arizona on a walk-off single from Luis Gonzalez. Yep. And, and like a... 
duck snort. <laughs> yeah. It's not a hard hit They ball. might have brought the infield in, though. They brought so, the yeah. infield in. Uh, yeah. So, wait. So, what was the error? Sorry. So, the Diamondbacks' comeback might not have happened, though, if Riviera had not committed a throwing error after fielding Damian Miller's sacrifice bunt attempt with no outs. The errant throw allowed pitch runner David DeLucci to take second and set the stage for one of the most famous endings in World Series history. Rivera's spot on the list is proof that not even the game's greatest players are uh, greatest players are immune to screwing up in the spotlight. Mm. Yeah, it's a bummer. And still, I my favorite World Series of all time. Like I think oh, that the, was a good the World first Series. one where I watched all seven games actually. Oh okay. And and still the best. <laughs> like it was incredible. That was a good yeah. World Series. <laughs> How about this one? Number six, Hank Gowdy in Game Seven of the 1924 World Series. Here's oh. the thing about Hank Gowdy's there that people forget who weren't there. <laughs> yeah. I was there. I was. Oh, uh, if one of the uh, if one were to write up a wish list of old plays, they wish they could see on film the error that Hank Gowdy made in the twelfth inning of the final game of 1924 World Series between the Washington Senators and the New York Giants would be near the top. The twelfth inning in Game Seven of the World Series, you guys. Oh, was that the one where Christy Mathewson threw three shutouts? It might have been. Still, would have been the I Giants. Think the scoreless inning, consecutive scoreless innings in the postseason record. He he did play for the Giants. I remember that. Someone much. no, the scoreless innings in the postseason record is Babe Ruth. I'm pretty sure. Are you sure? Wow. Because I th- uh, I th- that's. I mean, I thought it was 27 by Christy Mathewson. Oh, uh, maybe. In, in the next sentence, you're about to hear the most 1920s baseballer name ever. Let's see if you can pick it out. With the score tied at three, Washington's muddy rule. Lifted a high pop-up in foul territory that looked like it would go for the second out of the inning. But Gowdy, the Giants catcher, somehow uh, got his foot caught in his own mask. See, if it's a foul foul ball and anyone else could have gotten it, they should have gotten it. Yeah. Yeah. If the first baseman, the pitcher, anyone other than the guy using a catcher's mitt. You say that, Jordan, but at the same time... You wear your mask in your face to get your foot stuck in it. Like that's a real big. Yeah, it was a real little bit of a pretzel man. <laughs> yeah. He said it held me like a bear trap. <laughs> yeah, very unfortunate. Uh, t- uh, number five, Tony Fernandez in Game Seven of the 1997 World Series. Oh, that would be the collapse of the Indians. Oh, that's yeah. right. Against the Marlins. Game seven also. Well, let's hear about this one. Fernandez's error, uh, error in the 11th inning isn't often mentioned amongst Cleveland's biggest sports disappointment. They partly mostly because... blame the closer. That's my memory. Yeah, sure. Jose Mesa, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, closer Jose Mesa earned himself uh, the permanent title of the of GOAT. But not greatest of all time. The other no, this goat. was the original use of goat, <laughs> yeah, which exactly. was a bad Out thing. The, the 2012 yeah. usage of goat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, by blowing the save and chance of the Indians' first title since 1984 in the ninth. Still, Fernandez had been able to field Craig Council's grounder. There's a good chance he would have spent. Uh, they would have went for an inning-ending double play. I'd forgotten that Craig Council was on the ninth. But I'm gonna. Ass- but I'm gonna say because you can't assume the double play. This may have not been called an error. Oh. Craig Council, also, or do they get uh, one out? Or do they get none? Does it say? I'm just curious. Because if they got none, then it's an error. But there's this weird thing in baseball where, like, if someone like boots it on a double play and they only get one out instead of you would have gotten two. Yeah. But you can't assume a double play for keeping error, so that won't be an error. Oh, I see. Yeah. So well, if you catch the ball, step on second, turn to throw it for first, and accidentally shove the ball up your butt, not an error. Wow. 
Well, yeah. here's what he Specific said about Specific example. It. Okay. <laughs> Fernandez says, it didn't bounce anyway. I don't want to use an excuse. I didn't make the play. I started thinking of going to second with it, and that was probably a mistake. I knew Bobby was not running well. Oh, so Bobby Bonilla. Yeah. He ate it. Oh, Bobby! I, I just I just wrote the twenty five best and worst contracts in sports history. And best it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, it depends on who you're did asking. You, well, but. because your finance, did you uh, did you talk about the Madoff connection? It did. Oh, I, I, I brought up that I'm like we should write an article for the anniversary of Bobby Bonilla Day every yeah. year. Because it's an excellent personal finance story in addition to... It really, really is. Yeah, he made off with a lot of money. Really? Like oh, right Oh, yeah. cat uh, skills, Phil. There we go. Hey, look out. Uh, number four, Alex Gonzalez in game six of the 2003 NLCS. Steve Bartman's oh, I remember name this. Yes. somehow proves bigger than Alex Gonzalez in the annals of Cubs history. Oh, right, yeah. Because they blame Bartman, but really, yeah, we'll explain. I, I've been saying this for years, that <laughs> like... You you booted an easy grounder on like the next play. Oof. What if what do Cubs fans have to actually do to start blaming the players for not playing well? Right, but without the Chicago shortstop's eighth inning error, we might not know the unlucky fan's name at all. Gonzalez had a chance to make Bartman's interference with left fielder Moises Alou a curious footnote in a run in the World Series when a young Miguel Cabrera Miguel Cabrera Miguel Cabrera That's what I said bounded an inning ending double play ball in his way instead he flubbed it opening the door to an eight run Marlins inning mm. it's a oh, I remember watching man. that live and I remember thinking like oh my god they screwed I remember thinking the the Bartman thing like oh wow look at that but oh my god you're just the after that the wheels came off and that's not yep. Steve Bartman's fault yeah Alex I mean, Gonzalez yeah. got lucky that the you know like in especially because it's not like oh if he caught it the inning was over it's like he prevented him from catching the second out and it was a foul ball. It wasn't like foul it, ball. it didn't like it cause a hit. Right. That would have been a tough play regardless. Like yes. he probably would have caught it, but there's no way you can know that. It's right? the Moises Alou histrionics yeah. that made Steve Bartman's life a living I hell. I will say to that point, I think I had not been watching baseball as long. I want to say I picked it up in like 2000, and mm -hmm. I was just sort of thinking like, "Oh, curse Schmerz. Like I'm sure this is going to work out." And then that all happened, and I was like, "Oh wow, huh." Oh, maybe Cubs. curse, not schmerz. Yes. And, and then, like, I, I and get that, it. And that <laughs> night was Game Seven, where the Yankees beat the Red Sox. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and Ugh. instead of getting a a curse World Series in 2003 of oh, Red Sox right. v Cubs, you got the Marlins versus Yankees, and I boycotted the World Series. So I was like, I don't want to watch either so of these teams. That was so depressing. And I I remember distinctly before that, what was it? it was like the Desperation World Series was what I was calling it, because I was like, the idea that two teams that have not won in more than 70 years, like, one of the curses is about to end, 100% for sure. Ugh. Nope. Classic. <laughs> Classic. Very sad. Number three, Mickey Owen in game four of the 1941 World Series. The Brooklyn Dodgers were one out away from tying the New York Yankees in the 1941 World Series at two games apiece when fate turned against Mickey <laughs> Owens. This right is great. <laughs> the Dodgers catcher couldn't hang on to what it would have been a game-ending strike three to the Yankee star Tommy Henrik, and the error extended the inning when Heinrich ran safely to first. 
Catcher dropped the ball. We talked about this last week. Yeah. You are now well-versed in this. I am, yeah. The Yankees used the opportunity to score four runs in the ninth inning for a 7-4 win and would make Brooklyn wait till <laughs> next year again <laughs> after game victory, game five. That sucks off they, a they, the, ball. The, 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 Dodger, the Brooklyn Dodgers were the original Red Sox in that they kept getting close and oh, then yeah. just losing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for all the there was three teams in New York, and yeah. they were the yeah they were one of two NL teams, and it's like they kept getting. Mm. And then when was the year they finally won? Fifty five. Yeah, <laughs> fourteen years after this. Year. Yeah, ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Number two is Bill Buckner in Game Six of the nineteen eighty six World I Series. I had forgotten about. Is this even technically an error because he didn't touch it? Oh, it went between his legs. It's an error. So that counts? Yeah. This is one that's so he famous, up, I've heard Because the it. thing is, I know this, and I was talking about this the other day. It's like, you can... He looked up at the runner yeah. at the second he should have been looking it into his ball, and his mitt comes up like two inches off the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of course, the article will probably mention that because he had bad knees, he was usually pulled for a defensive replacement mm-hmm. late in games because the dude has... 2,700 career hits. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, was actually a really good baseball player for a really long time. Yeah. But he's known as a... I only know his name because of this error. And Bill I know Buckner. his name, and I barely know any baseball player's name. So, what is there to be said that hasn't been said about Bill Buckner's famous error, error at Shea Stadium in Game 6 of the 1986 World Series? Boston's tendency to self-flagellate before the end of the World Series curse in 2004 undoubtedly had a big impact in the first baseman's misplay Becoming as big as it did, but it had been the biggest error in baseball in over 25 years. Yeah. A lot of entries on this list might only ring big with a few geographical locations and among a certain generation, but Bill Buckner is one guaranteed to be played over and over and over uh, whenever there's a long list of errors. It's become a universal blooper. I remember when Greg Norman blew the Masters in like 97 or 98 watching SportsCenter the next day, and they were like, Greg Norman blew the Masters. Here's Bill Buckner missing that grounder. <laughs> right? It was just like, hey, remember this? What are, yeah, what are other embarrassing <laughs> moments from people's past that we could dredge up? Ah, uh, it's a four-foot putt. Oh, Bill Buckner. I'll right. bet I'll bet Bill Buckner was watching the Masters in 97 going, oh, God damn it. I'm going to be on SportsCenter tonight. <laughs> but we all, I mean, I would have thought Bill Buckner would be number one on this can list. Can I say it? Can I yeah, say it? You can. Go ahead. Merkel's boner. That's what I was thinking. No. What's what? that boner? This is the obvious one. It's bigger than Bill Buckner. Of course, number one is Fred Snodgrass in Game 8 of the 1912 World Series. The one year they did the nine-game series. Right? <laughs> is that of not Merkel's boner? No, Merkel played Snodgrass. for the Cubs? Uh, Giants, I thought. I don't know. Though I guess Merkel's boner not scored as an error. Yeah, correct? not technically yeah. an error. So, okay. That's a- why it's, of course... Famously, the 1912 World Series error in Game 8 by Fred Snodgrass. Okay, let's hear yeah. it. Like Holiday's appearance at the beginning named of the list. Snodgrass? Yeah, that was a huge error. <laughs> the parent went, oops. Uh, Snodgrass, well, I guess it's not the parent's fault either. It's the last name. Well, his son was named Snodgrass Snodgrass. Right, he called the Snodgrass Snodgrass. <laughs> so, so he made a big improvement. <laughs> oh, sure. Snodgrass had a chance to make a big impact on his postseason game by tightly squeezing a ball hit to him in the outfield. Unlike Holiday, a successful catch by the New York Giants center fielder would have put his team in position to win the World Series in the tie-breaking and decisive eighth game of the 1912 World Series. Game two had been ruled a tie after being called on account of darkness. 
Which they well, did they didn't have lights back. then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Snodgrass, though, dropped the ball from leadoff hitter Clyde Engel, giving Boston Red Sox an additional out in staging a rally for the second World Series title in the franchise history. They didn't squander the chance, uh, and Snodgrass's error became known as the $30,000 muff. Jokes now. I know, which which was, of course, brought back come enter female celebrity of a later era. Good one. $30,000 $30, muff. muff. Wasn't that the alternative title for Jersey Shore? Boom! Oh, that wouldn't be thirty grand. What are you kidding? <laughs> Snodgrass would go on to live a long life. <laughs> good, good, um, good. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's positive. Wonderful to hear. But his obituary in 1974 still carried the following headline: Fred Snodgrass, 86, dead. Ball player muffed. 1912 fly. I mean, that, you obviously have to mention it in the obit. Sixty-two the years not after that, it happened, not in the headline. You mentioned yeah, the no, obit. That's what I was saying. Is it's in that the copy? Sixty-two years. That's almost twice as long as I've been alive. Well, I think later. I think real quick, Jordan, I should specify Merkel's boner because it really should be on this. List. Okay, specify Merkel's boner. The gist of it is basically that uh, this guy Merkel feels what would have been a boner. The yeah, no, the the final out of I can't remember was it. The, I think it's like 1903. It's it's like an that. odd World Series. I think it might have yeah. been like Boston Braves are in it or something like yeah. that. And then I he got know. a boner and he had an error. A boner was yeah. like a mistake. Oh, yeah. Well, yes. it might actually explain what happened, but... Uh, <laughs> sure. Go ahead. I mean, maybe, I'm he, listening. maybe he fled from embarrassment. Sure. Okay. But so basically he fielded embarrassment it. Embarrassment boner. This was, this was clearly like the, the end of the game and people started rushing onto the field to celebrate. Sure. But... Merkel was a bit of like a social outcast. He gets all like freaked out, so he just leaves without tagging first base. Oh man! Or uh, yeah, and then uh, uh, somebody from the team that was about to lose notices this happen. Notices the umpire and trying runs. to do something about it. No, no, no! Grabs the baseball and flings it into the stands to prevent somebody else from grabbing it and going over and tagging first. Wow! So like the next day, they had to bring them back. Like, like it, it, it wound up being like it should have been, it absolutely should have been the win, but because Merkel freaked out and didn't, like, didn't go to first to tag it to officially end the game, they wound up losing the World Sounds Series. like that would have been a great wide world of weird sports, guys. Oh. You're goddamn right it would have been. Oh, shit. And that brings it into another wide world of weird sports. Oh, the Merkel's boner at this time was our boner. Citizens of Podcast Town, this brings to a close another sports, sports, sports podcast. But before we go, we're going to bring back on uh, Jeff Kirschbaum and the Philly Fanatic to give you our contact information. Philly Fanatic, I love you. All right, you've been you've been hired for a job. Why don't you just go ahead and show everybody how you are straight to it? You can find us on Twitter by going to twitter.com/sports the number three podcast. Like sands through the hourglass, the letters on the tweet. You, know, you can just read what's on the page, Philly Fanatic. Okay, you it's a twitter.com slash sports. But work in some podcasts. of your catchphrases. People Twitter. want to hear the catchphrases. <laughs> Who wants a t-shirt? gibbity 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 and as you all know, Facebook has had their share of controversy lately, which I'll get into in my documentary okay, okay, series. Okay. All right, can we, can we, can we please? 
Oh, you're right. It's Facebook.com slash sports number three podcast. Skibbity, 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 skibbity. But and I think I think you want to work in a I'm loving it. I'm loving it. There we go. Cha-ching. Or you can find all of our back episodes at anchor.com slash sports number three podcast. That's anchor like the prop you'd see in the HMS Pinafore. Dot com slash sports number three podcast. I can do musicals too. Could okay, you, could I please. get a t-shirt though? Could you throw yeah. me a t-shirt? Oh, I, yeah, I could. But if you want to hear my music, I musical, really appreciate the t-shirt. All right, though. here comes the okay. t-shirt right. gun. Oh, Squibby oh, Squibby. I got it. I got it. Oh, okay. what a lucky oh, little right. boy. How lucky do they wrap boy. these yep. things so tight? Ugh. Hey, hey, get back in the van with okay. Mr. Matt. We got another appointment back later in the today. And I go. Goodbye, George. Goodbye, Jeff. Thank you, Philly fanatic. Hey guys. Joel. Joel, up? Wow, what's all the green stuff all over my chair? Oh, it's uh... Bye, Bye, Joel. Joel.